Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. We have been asking the wrong question, everybody. We have not been focused on the people and things that matter in times like these. And there are times like these. You better believe it. These are the dark times. These are the rough times. And we have never once asked ourselves in this time of concern, in this time of worry, you know what we've never asked ourselves? We've never asked ourselves, what does Stevie Wonder think? Oh, it starts off really slow. I forget that. There it is. See, I should have started from there. It would have been much better. But it's Stevie. asking ourselves what Stevie Wonder has to think about the world today. What are we all nuts? Very superstitious. Writings on the wall. Stevie Wonder has a lot to offer. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. He has a lot to offer Tony Katz. He has a lot to offer you too. Just the way I said that was pretty funny. This is a real thing that happened in the White House briefing room. A question that's asked by April Ryan. Now, April Ryan, if you don't remember her, she made it her personal mission to take on Donald Trump. It was it was her and Jim Acosta fighting the good fight. And she was with PBS, and then she had a job with NBC. And then um, I think she's with the Grio now, which is, I think, part of NBC. And she's there in the White House briefing. She is wearing a mask. If you want to understand the level of virtue signaling going on here. And this is the question. I had an in-depth conversation with Stevie Wonder last night. Who is asking, requesting a meeting with the president? He's very concerned about the black agenda falling along the wayside and issues like laws of 50 years ago that are now being abolished or gutted to include issues like... Hold on. First, April Ryan was having an in-depth conversation, just a little bit of a name drop, with Stevie Wonder. Very superstitious. Does he not have anybody better to talk to? He's Stevie Wonder. That guy can get an audience. He needs to, through April Ryan, approach Corinne Jean-Pierre about getting a meeting with Joe Biden? Okay. The Voting Rights Act, what happened in Arkansas last week, uh, affirmative action, Supreme Court, as you've seen it, ban on books, and he's also even brought up issues of the Congo and the lack of information from the White House. Is the White House amenable to sitting down with Stevie Wonder, who has met with presidents 
um, throughout history to include Ronald Reagan. He was one of the major impetus for getting the holiday for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And also he was one of those who worked with President Obama in his efforts to become president. Is this president amenable to meeting with Stevie Wonder who has these concerns? I'm only asking, um, is this is this the question that one asks at the White House briefing? That's weird, right? On a scale of one to weird, that's weird, right? You didn't say, hey, um, I happened to have dinner with Stevie Wonder last night. Yeah, I know. It was awesome. Uh, he'd like a few minutes with the president. Uh, here's his info. Can we get this done? You ask that question right there. I was taken by that as a display of, of, of two things. Uh, first... Uh, there are other things happening in the world other than, you know, uh, Hamas Israel, other than the southern border, which is still the southern border, just for the sake of clarity, is still the single biggest story in America. Cannot be denied. Speaking of. It also doesn't address the other sort of uh, elephant in the room, which is dealing with the undocumented uh, immigrants who are already here in the nation. And I know it's been a political football as to trying to figure out the best way to address that. But I'm going to ask you, what is the best way to address that from your perspective? The answer is quite clear and quite straightforward, and we've been waiting for it for about 30 years. And that is to fix a system that everyone agrees is fundamentally broken, and we need congressional action, both for uh, the lawful pathways uh, that really need to be more robust in statute and for the 12 million people who are here in the United States who have been contributing so fundamentally to our country's well-being. There are neighbors, our friends, our fellow congregants. Uh, they provide our, our frontline workers. Uh, we need to do something, and I, I am hopeful and remain hopeful that Congress will do it. The president, on his first day in office, mm-hmm. presented Congress with a proposal. Is that Alejandro Mayorkas calling for amnesty? You have 12 million people here and there are friends and this. He's calling for amnesty, isn't he? This, this is how we're going to fix the border. By letting people who got into the country illegally uh, stay, become citizens, voting. And there's a whole conversation about whether or not they'd really vote for Democrats, which something Democrats should be fully aware of. But still, this is nonsense. This isn't how you fix the problem. This is how you sweep the problem under the rug. And there's going to be no amnesty conversation until you fix the border itself and you fix the policies therein. The border is still the biggest story in America. Unless, of course, you're having a conversation with April Ryan. And never mind the fact that you thought that this was an acceptable thing to bring up. Like this is, you know, if you wanted to bring up other issues, 
Now, I don't know what is meant by black agenda. I really don't. You mean progressive uh, uh, agenda. And certainly, if you want to discuss things happening in other parts of the globe, like the Congo, I think you would ask that question, what with you being a reporter and being in the room? But even I, who has no admiration for Corinne Jean-Pierre at all, think she's very bad at what she does, Look at this and say, that's a weird thing to do to Corinne Jean-Pierre, putting her on the on the spot like this, don't you think? ...meeting with Stevie Wonder, who has these concerns. And, and you're right, April, what you just laid out in your question is incredibly important. Uh, and so we take that very, very seriously here. Can I just say a couple things about Stevie Wonder? He is an, indeed an icon who's made tremendous, uh, tremendous contributions to the civil rights movement and also voting rights. What? You know what? I, I I take it back. I guess it's a very acceptable thing to do to to do to do to Corinne Jean Pierre. I I cannot wait for a reporter to say. So I happened to be sharing a J with Kid Rock yesterday, and uh, and um, well, you see, uh, Kid Rock has got a lot of things um, that that are concerning him. And 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 he and he's worried about and, and what he would like, what he'd like to do is is, is have a he'd like to have a one on one meeting with 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 President Biden to discuss you know the state of Bud Light and, and really really why it is that when he uh, gets stuff from his dispensary there's 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 all these seeds, right? Why why are there all these? The, the seeds going on. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, it, 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 it's, it's wrong. And so he, he's very concerned. So if so President Biden could just sit down with, with Kid Rock for a little while. Same thing, right? No? Yeah. I'm sorry. I I did not know 2023 could get this messed up. It's weirder than I thought. Am I the only one who thinks that April Ryan is out of her mind? And the wearing of the mask, that's that's what makes it great. Wearing of the mask in the White House briefing room in 2023. Man, there is nothing more virtue signaling, I'm scared of everything, than that moment. <sighs> By the way, if, if uh, Biden was smart, he'd meet with uh, Stevie Wonder and uh, Kid Rock at the same time. That's, that's how you bring people together. That's unity. I'm Tony Katz. Sports Illustrated allegedly used AI to write articles and then created bylines that were also AI generated. 
So this this is the allegation that articles were written by artificial intelligence, and then Sports Illustrated created bylines and photos of the supposed authors with artificial intelligence. So the people aren't real. They were generated by AI to cover for the articles that were written by AI. Now, Sports Illustrated is denying it. They're blaming a third party. Tony Katz. No, they're not blaming me. I'm just saying who I am. Tony Katz today. That's the show. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. So this, this group Futurism, it was a, I think it's a site. And they published screenshots from the website at Sports Illustrated that shows fabricated author profiles with a profile picture that appears to link back to a website that sells AI-generated headshots. I don't. Can I tell you, uh, the future of talk radio has never been better. Because I don't know how you AI this. Honestly, how do you AI Levin? How, how do you AI Hugh Hewitt? How would you AI Shapiro? I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you would do it. Could you AI people who do music radio? Yeah, you could, I think. Because it's it's bump. It's it's probably something that could be done. How do you AI uh commentary and response and connection? I don't think I that's a much tougher one to to get accomplished. But this ties into a really interesting piece by Dan McLaughlin over at National Review regarding uh, where sports is right now. And how so much of what people get is, you know, they, they, they want a box score. Just give them the basics. Tell me what the contract is. Done. And that can be done very, very simply. That's a very low cost and therefore low uh, profit margin opportunity. It's hard to monetize that. What you, what you get to monetize is, is detailed commentary from people you know, like, and trust, etc. But... Is this showing that in in that world, if it's just the basics of the game, pick the game, you could just ask a a computer to to pump that out and then print it, you're good. Because it just gives the basics and no one actually cares about that anyway. That's a pretty rough thing to say about the sports guys. Now, I will say in my defense, uh, I'm pretty rough on the sports guys. Because far too many of them like to get involved in the political and they really and truly suck at it. Not everyone, but far too many. They think because they have an opinion, and if you just say it really loud, then then it's good. And that's not the way it works. And this is true of guys on the left, because there's a ton of the sports guys on the left, and even those on the right. It's not the same. It's it, 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 it's not. There has to be some kind of basis uh, to the thing. But they all love getting into the sport, uh, in, in, into the politics. They love it. They adore it. That's why I spend so much time getting in on the sports because I'm not I'm not ceding the territory uh, to these people. Uh, the vast majority of which I have very little respect for. I shouldn't say vast majority. The vast majority I don't know. Some, uh, some I have very little respect for, and others I think are doing solid jobs, and you see them and they're successful. That's a crazy story about AI and about Sports Illustrated. 
Sports Illustrated Union publishing a statement saying it was horrified by the report and demanded transparency from the Arena Group, which is the parent company of Sports Illustrated. So things may get really weird really quick. And it now leads to another question. Well, if Sports Illustrated is doing this, if Sports Illustrated is doing this, who else is doing this? Who else is is uh, engaging content that isn't actual, but rather computer generated? And how many people is it fooling? Wait till journalists learn about this. Meanwhile, Corinne Jean-Pierre, oh, we go back to her. She was asked a, a rather unique question. And I suspect if we pulled the room, many of us would probably ask some version of the following question. Okay. Given the president's sagging poll numbers and the fact that he is currently placing behind any Republican opponent, has there been any talk in this White House about a change in strategy or staffing going forward in reflection of those numbers to continue to show him underwater? No. First, I don't know how many people would be asking that question. Is there about to be a shakeup? Secondly, the look on Corinne Jean-Pierre's face when she goes, no. No, there's going to be no shakeup. I play you that and connect it to this. No labels in 2024 to torment the Biden coalition. Now, the no labels people are the people who believe that you can win the middle. That you can win the middle. I, I put forth to you that everybody says they're in the middle, but they don't actually know what that means. It's like people who claim that they're centrist. You know, I, I like to play it down the middle. I, I like to I like to understand. I like to hear both sides of the conversation. Well, that's great. So do I. Then you know what happens? One side is right and one side is wrong. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. That's interesting. But the vast majority of times, someone's right and someone's wrong. So the idea of I play it down the middle is cop-out kind of stuff. But this is a story about how the unity ticket, to the extent that there will be one, whether Mitt Romney is involved in that or not, uh, Joe Manchin, et cetera, they'll have ballot access in 15 states by the end of the year and 34 by next spring. Oh, you think that someone could come in as a third-party spoiler and take away some votes. You think it's just enough to take away to give whoever the Republican nominee is, uh, very possibly uh, Trump, unless he goes to jail, in which case possibly somebody else. Um, You think that it'll just hand them victory because these no-label folks are going to grab Democrats who are disillusioned with Joe Biden. So this is a an admission from the Biden folk that their own party is starting to cannibalize and fracture and isn't wholly behind him. Well, don't you worry about a thing, kitten. Because this is the Democratic Party. And if at the convention if at the convention they decide to replace Joe Biden with Gavin Newsom, they'll do it. They won't worry about what the primary said. They're not going to worry about having to run somebody. They'll change it at the convention. This is the Democrats. They do what they do. You know it better than I do. This is Tony Katz today.
peculiar intellectualism that has taken place regarding Hamas, regarding Israeli response, regarding the taking of hostages, man, there's a tremendous amount of wordplay going on. And the reason that it is important to go over, it is important to share and discuss, it's because it is because it's how they believe they can play you and certainly uh, the way they want to play younger generations to a Pavlovian response. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. And the Pavlovian response is Israel bad, as opposed to what is the policy, what do we think of it? You know, it, it, I got reminded there's a, a piece by Michael Walsh over at the pipeline, the-pipeline.org, where he's talking about F. Scott Fitzgerald, who he has no regard for whatsoever. Uh, and Fitzgerald's line uh, that, um, you know, the, the key to, a, to a, 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 a smart person is that they can hold two contrary thoughts in, in their head without going mad, right? I'm paraphrasing there. And Michael Walsh's point is that's not the mark of a genius or of an intellect. That's the mark of the most basic. That's like a nine-year-old. Of course, you should be able to have two contrary thoughts in your head. You should be able to keep a multiplicity of things in, in your head. It is possible to accept the idea that a country doesn't do everything perfectly. It's a far cry from whether or not the country gets to exist. These are two different things. And so when people say, well, you know, they're just criticizing Israel. They're not actually anti-Semites. Take a look at what their goal and desire is, and it will tell you what's what. Why would somebody not recognize what a terrorist organization is? What is the win in that? And why would one conflate Israeli response with terrorism? Well, that's exactly what Piers Morgan did. Piers Morgan, on his show, uh, Piers Morgan Uncensored, out of the UK, absolutely does this by referring to a tweet that he put out in 2014. Let me share this with you. This is dangerous territory for Israel. It has a rapidly narrowing window of legitimacy in Gaza. President Biden is under pressure from his supporters to speed up the end of the fighting. And America won't accept a prolonged occupation. Israel told Palestinians to move south in Gaza to escape the bombing. Now it says it'll bomb the south too. This bloodshed cannot continue without proof there's a plan beyond the total destruction of Gaza. I've been picked up this weekend by people reminding me of tweets from 2014. Back then, Israel launched a massive bombardment of Gaza in response to the murder of three Israeli teenagers in the West Bank. What happened? I'm asked. Why did I change my position? Well, I haven't changed my position. Israel committed atrocities in 2014, in my estimation. It was a completely disproportionate response to what had happened. It looked more like revenge to me than a military strategy. And President Obama told them to call it off. Well, during that bombardment, I asked at what point does Israel's current military strategy become the very terrorism it professes to be fighting? And today, I'm beginning to ask myself that exact same question. Well, allow me, uh, Piers Morgan, that's taking the side of Hamas. It is a strange statement in, in a series of, of strange statements. And the statements are strange because they're predicated on the idea that this is what's going on. It's predicated on the idea that this is the standard way things go. Let's start from the beginning. This is dangerous territory for Israel. It has a rapidly narrowing window of legitimacy in Gaza. President Why is there a rapidly 
narrowing window of legitimacy in Gaza. What does that what does that mean? Says who? Says who? The people who support Hamas? The Israelis don't think that. A lot of people around the globe don't think that. What is this conversation that there's a window of legitimacy that's closing? Now, I get that that's opinion, but what is that opinion based on? Your 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 feelings of what's right and what's wrong? A nation gets attacked, and here comes a pretty popular host on TV to say, oh, you only have so much time. You only have so much time to respond. That's not how any of this works. What, what are we talking about? Israel could take as much time as it wants. It could take decades. It could take hours. Why, why is there a window of legitimacy? And if you are, if we go back to his end statements right here, well, during that bombardment, I asked, at what point does Israel's current military strategy become the very terrorism it professes to be fighting? And today, I'm beginning to ask myself that exact same question. So is there any legitimacy at all? You just said that Israel is guilty of terrorism. And you started by saying that the window of legitimacy is closing. What am I looking at here? And that's how you're able to start breaking apart the, the idea, the difference between rational thought and irrational pablum, the, 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 the desperation for, for, for just making a statement uh, that, that shows one to be intellectual when, it, when it's not. Of course, Piers Morgan is wrong here on every single level. But this has been occurring in, in quite a few places. And the reason to bring it up is not to tell you you have to feel a certain way. I don't get to decide how you feel. If you ask me, Hamas is a terrorist organization that has to be destroyed. Israel has the right to exist and to defend itself. I have stated to you before that I'm a Zionist. I have not changed in that at all. I believe in Israel's right to exist and right to defend itself, and I am unworried about what people think of me. I will never lie to you. I will share with you exactly where I'm at. This is an MSNBC host who um, is speaking with Jen Psaki and about how he's been doing this good reporting regarding the Qataris uh, and how their role in the negotiation. You understand that Hamas leaders, are, they live in, in Doha. They live in Qatar. And they, they're billionaires. Oh, they've got the money. The people in, in Gaza, they suffer. But these guys, they got it going on. Listen. So according to the uh, sources I've been speaking to, Jen, um, when this conflict broke out, when the attack happened on October 7th, the terrorist attack against Israel happened on October 7th, um, it was clear from that moment that Qatar was going to play an important role for one very simple reason, that Hamas's leadership, its political leadership, resides right now in Doha. So they were able to gather the leaders of Hamas there. Uh, and begin to speak to them about what had happened, what they knew about these hostages, uh, and more importantly, why they wanted to take uh, these civilian hostages. And from that moment on, it became clear that the chaotic situation that unfolded after October 7th uh, included many layers of information that I think we are still learning about. Who kidnapped all of the hostages, who was responsible for them, which Palestinian faction had them under their control. Uh, and as the Qataris began to assess that information, relay to the Americans, relay to counterparts they were talking to uh, inside Israel, uh, it was clear 
that Hamas was willing to release some of these hostages, certainly the civilian hostages that it said it had no interest in in keeping. And so the pressure began to mount uh, from the Qataris with the Americans on the Israelis as to whether or not the priority of the operation, the military operation of going into Gaza, was going to be about releasing the hostages or, as they claimed, to try and destroy Hamas. And it seemed certainly to the negotiators that those odds in the beginning were uh, somewhat uh, contradictory, that if you really wanted to release the hostages, as had been demonstrated, there was going to be this attempt, as the uh, as the military wing of Hamas showed, they were willing to release the civilians without any preconditions. So- Can we take a moment to recognize what an odd grouping of statements that is? That Hamas took civilians, kidnapped civilians, but they didn't actually have an interest in civilian hostages? That's, that's the wording that he used. That's the wording that he used. The Qataris uh, began to assess that information, relay it to the Americans, relay it to counterparts that were talking to inside Israel. It was clear that Hamas was willing to release some of the hostages, certainly the civilian hostages that it had no interest in keeping. If Hamas had no interest in keeping the hostages, why didn't they just release the hostages? Why did they take the hostages to begin with? What do you mean they had no interest in the civilians? Did they have an interest in the civilians that they raped and, 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 and murdered? The entirety of that phraseology. But listen to how lofty it sounds. Oh, understand how important it was. And really the pressure had to be put on Israel. The pressure had to be put on whom now? How in the world is this in any way a conversation? And then to end it, with this uh from the Qataris with the americans on the israelis as to whether or not the priority of the operation the military operation of going into gaza was going to be about releasing the hostages or as they claimed to try and destroy hamas and it seemed certainly to the negotiators that those odds in the beginning were uh, somewhat uh contradictory that if you really wanted to release the hostages as had been demonstrated there was going to be this attempt as the uh, as the military wing of hamas showed they were willing to release the civilians without any preconditions. What are you talking about? Why is it somehow Israel's responsibility to show, were they interested in this or interested in that? What if they were interested in both? Why is it an either or? I'm interested in getting my people back and I'm interested in destroying Hamas. Again, take a look at how they try to to play this. The pseudo-intellectualism and the word manipulation. its I get it, it's hard to break it down to its component pieces, but here's two different conversations uh, taking place where once you break it down, you realize that this is madness. Absolute madness. And so why do I bring it up? Because it's not to have the conversation regarding Israel and Hamas. No, 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 no. Certainly, you can listen to Elon Musk, who was just there for a visit and was meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. It was uh, certainly been um, a day, I would say an emotionally difficult day uh, to see the places where people were murdered. I just did a talk with uh, the Prime Minister, and um, I think there's... I mean, obviously, there are three things that need to happen uh, in, in the Gaza situation. 
I mean, there's no choice but to kill those who insist on uh, murdering civilians. There's exactly. no choice. Um, they're not going to change their mind. But and then the second thing is to change the the education, so that an, a new generation of of murderers is not trained to be murderers. And then the and then the third thing, which is also very important, is to try to build prosperity. Well, you have no issue with me there wanting to build prosperity. And you have an entire group of people that is hell-bent on destruction of Israel and the killing of Jews. It's in their charter. Uh, it's, it's them or you. What's, what's your plan? I bring these things up, though, the, the Piers Morgan stuff, the stuff from MSNBC. You listen to how they say it, and then you got to go back and hear it again. Break it down for what it is, and you'll recognize the absurdity of arguments. And in that absurdity, you start to learn and recognize the objective. And in both these cases, whether it was Piers Morgan or whether it was this guy on this host on, on MSNBC, you see, if Israel would just, you see, what Israel is doing is the problem. Israel, and you start learning where their real feelings are. That's important stuff to know. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. As I have stated more than once, I have serious concerns that Donald Trump can win the general election. And I know he shows up at the, the, the South Carolina, that was the South Carolina Clemson game, and he's getting this massive applause. And I can show you polling that shows him beating Joe Biden, but I can show polling that has DeSantis beating Joe Biden, and I can show polling that has Nikki Haley beating Joe Biden. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? And of course, you've got the reality that Trump may very well go to jail. I'm not saying he should, but this could happen. And how does this affect? How does this affect uh, the, the, the race? And I've got more to say about this. Uh, but I, I, am, I am always interested by endorsements and, and when they come and whether or not they should come. And so uh, this was interesting that Americans for Prosperity endorsed Nikki Haley today. Now, as you know, I do videos and I do work uh, where that is sponsored by Americans for Prosperity. I've done work with them for years. I have a whole border week thing coming up, um, talking to uh, their experts and others, uh, border patrol uh, sector chiefs and, and, and things like that about what we're seeing, what's happening, and where some of these policy ideas need to, need to be in a myriad of places. So I, I do a, a fair amount. Uh, and, and I... I got to tell you, I saw this endorsement today and I was like, oh, holy hell. Why are you endorsing in a presidential? They endorsed in the Indiana gubernatorial and I'm like, oh, that's weird. Uh, they endorsed Mike Braun for, for, for governor. A gubernatorial race is different than a presidential. And Nikki Haley just a couple weeks ago was saying that people shouldn't be allowed to be anonymous online. And uh, AFP is very big into free speech. So that also didn't make much sense to me. Uh, if Nikki Haley is the nominee, I'm going to vote for her over Joe Biden. And so are you. And that's that. I'm not anti-Nikki Haley. 
Uh, I think she was just so wrong and out of left field on this free speech conversation and the anonymous stuff online. She was wrong. She should have said, I made, that was wrong of me. That was a terrible idea. I apologize. That would have been a lot better. It would have been a much more focused conversation because she was just wrong. I won't stop saying so. She was wrong. It's weird that that would be the person that would then get from a free speech organization uh, the nomination, but they see other things. Uh, it's, it's quite obviously. Now, I have no inside knowledge uh, on this stuff, but I think that there is a conversation regarding path. And the buying into the idea, certainly uh, I, I see it, that Trump cannot win a general. There are too many things in his way. It doesn't matter if the guy is up by 60 points in some polls, which he is. It matters if you can win. And I can't believe we still have to have this conversation. It matters if you can win. And they must have come to the conclusion that he can't. And they're going to go with somebody who they believe is best equipped to beat Joe Biden. So I understand that. But man, do we have a disagreement here on whether or not I would have done the endorsement. Oh, do we? Um, I wanted to let you know I will never hide anything from you. That I'm, I've got a public disagreement on whether or not I would have done the endorsement. That much is true. I think the organization does a lot of good work. This one, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. But maybe sometimes it's okay. We'll find out soon enough. This is Tony Katz today.